I follow international estimates um, of predictions of growth from what about 30 years and um, they're not necessarily very accurate and in this case I think the World Bank's figure is too low. We do not really see much of the subsidies uh, you know, offered to individual companies or to individual households during the COVID. But now I think it's time to really alleviate some of the, uh, particularly the small and medium-sized companies of the some of the fees, not to mention tax, so that they can really uh, get back on track. Uh, I'm much more of an optimist in the long run. I do think that there are very much headwinds in the short run, but I don't believe that the external headwinds are the most important. I do think that consumer confidence in China is really going to be key. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to the Chat Lounge. I'm Tu Yun. Joining today's discussion on China's economic outlook after its COVID reopening are... John Ross, Senior Fellow at Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies, Renmin University of China. Rodrigo Zaidan, Professor of Practice of Business and Finance, New York University, Shanghai. And Dr. Liu Baocheng, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics, University of International Business and Economics. Welcome back to the program, gentlemen. So China has loosened its COVID curbs with an aim of reviving economic activities. But following the reopening measures, the World Bank has decreased its growth forecasts for the Chinese economy. It cut China's expected growth for 2022 to 2.7% down from uh, 4.3% and slashed China's projected growth for next year from 8.1% to 4.3%. So, Baocheng, let me start with you. Was the World Bank's move to any extent a surprise to you? Previously, some, some other uh, institutions... Not really a surprise because the World Bank constantly readjusted their uh, forecast because uh, they face a lot more uh, uncertainties on the global landscape and particularly uh, those major economies like United States and China, etc. So uh, there is really quite a point in slashing the uh, forecast for the growth figure because the lifting of the zero COVID policy does really produce, uh, uh, at the moment, at least a temporary messy situation here because we are honestly unprepared about such a dramatic lifting. If we simply look out of the window, we see that uh, there are far less people on uh, the public venues and the public transportation vehicles, etc. So uh, this is going to be a hot hit and it takes uh, quite a while to revive. And there was uh, a rosy picture uh, temporarily uh, during the uh, second quarter. And then we really could predict that a uh, over the third quarter, China could really move into a recovery mode, but uh, it seems that uh, the uh, virus has been continually mischievous and uh, the tough policy over the lockdown and then a sudden lifting. So such a change really surprises this uh, uh, nation. However, you know, we can really anticipate that uh, next year may bring out a better picture than the uh, expectation of uh, uh, IMF and uh, because uh, the uh, recovery mode will be able to be switched into uh, more sooner than 
people have anticipated given the Chinese culture and also given the important role that the Chinese government policy can really play. Yeah, I can understand if it's uh, within a short term, uh, the recovery could be n- not up to expectation. But what about the entire year? Because previously we see some other institutions such as uh, Morgan Stanley raise its forecast for, for China's growth for 2023 for the coming year. I think from uh, 5 to 5.4 percent. But the World Bank almost half its estimation for uh, forecast for next year. So what's behind that, Bocheng? Yes, uh, because there is a conventional belief that uh, uh, whatever the Chinese government has decided over its uh, uh, government report, uh, China will find all the ways to achieve that. But uh, uh, this year is more rebellious, uh, I could uh, really see. And uh, the other point is that uh, China uh, over a broad spectrum is not really firmly fixed on growth figure because uh, although the government said around uh, 5.5% as the growth target for this year. Uh, it, has, uh, it remains a uh, rather flexible against uh, a lot of uncertainties. And on the other hand, uh, China is also very much resolved to go for high quality growth and uh, together with further emphasis attached to the environmental quality so that uh, the growth figure is no longer that really overwhelmingly important. And uh, then, you know, the, uh, the COVID situation is really highly disturbing. Of course, you know, when China is highly interdependent with the world economy, so that can also drag uh, China down in terms of the supply disruption caused by the Ukraine crisis and also by the uh, roller coaster shifting of the energy prices. So, you know, that really put the far more pressure than anticipated on the Chinese economic performance. Mm. And John, what's your uh, take here? How rational do you see the cuts by the World Bank? Well, I personally, to make a prediction, think that the World Bank estimate is um, too low. I follow international estimates um, of predictions of growth from, you know, what, about 30 years. And um, they're not necessarily very accurate. And in this case, I think the World Bank's figure is too low. I don't, China's not going to have next year probably, you know, the type of 7% growth, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that one had in the past. But the growth in the third quarter is already 3.9%. Um, and it was accelerating out of a very bad second quarter. And that's already sufficiently close to the World Bank's um, estimate 4.3%. I, I think that the World Bank figure is going to be uh, exceeded. I agree that the overall international situation is going to be very negative because we've got to look at China's performance relative to other economies as well at the present time. The the US and Europe are certainly slowing down. The only question is whether they will actually go into a recession or not. It's not particularly important in relative terms, whereas China's economy certainly next year will grow more rapidly than the uh, US and uh, Europe. Even the IMF projections are for that. So in this case, I think that um, the World Bank figure is not accurate. In my my estimate, I would place a a reasonable bet on the the number will come in above the World Bank one. And uh, to uh, Rod, uh, you're in Shanghai, uh, China's uh, economic hub. I'm not quite sure what is your estimation there um, from what you've observed uh, in China's economy. Many people had expected um, economic activities to resume soon after the policy shift, but this hasn't been the case, as um, Bao Cheng just explained, at least not for now, because people are staying at home, recovering from COVID, and a lot of people who have not been infected are extra cautious about going out. 
So many, you know, shopping malls, restaurants, or tourist attractions here in Beijing have barely seen any increase in customer numbers. So, what's the situation in、uh, your city,、uh, Rod, in, in Shanghai? Was that expected? Well, Shanghai is, is exactly like、uh, the scenario that I describe in Beijing. I come to work and go home mostly.、Uh, yesterday、uh, was the only one,、uh, only day that I took the subway was completely empty. There were very few people in the subway. There are very few people going around. People are trying to be careful. It's not only about people recovering. People are fearful of getting infected, and thus people are doing what、uh, they believe is the safest course course of action, which is、uh, staying home unless something happens. So、mm-hmm. I don't see the economy, the service economy, service doing economy. well in the next few weeks. Most likely, we're going to have that until Chinese New Year. And also, given that、uh, production also decreases in the weeks before Chinese New Year, I can see that、uh, we're going to have a very slow economy in the next few weeks, at least until the beginning of February. I cannot see much happening till then. Restaurants, if they're open, they're going to see few patrons. Cinemas, everything is going to be. Very slow going because we don't have in China the culture of because people were able to go out and and live almost a normal life until the next last few weeks. Internally, we don't have the repressed demand for services that we saw around the world. That people didn't go to restaurants for months. So when things open up, there was a flood. Or young people that at some point got tired of waiting around for the pandemic to end and started going to bars, even underground bars. This doesn't really exist in China in the moment. So I believe that the economy will be very slow moving in the next few weeks.、Mm. Then what about、I、the whole? I concur. Let me add by a few number of figures、sure. uh, by the Shanghai、uh, most recent statistics. The industrial output has uh, uh, over the last 11 months has dropped by 1.3%. The state-owned enterprises dropped by 0.4, and、uh, private enterprises are, are hard hit by 3.3, and uh, uh, the foreign-invested enterprises has、uh, also dropped by、uh, 4.3. So the better picture is that、uh, the export has really surged by 12.5 percent over the past 10 months, and uh, the uh, more bleak picture is that、uh, the consumption. Uh, particularly in the area of a、uh, service sector like restaurants and uh, uh, hotels, um, uh, cinemas has dropped by 23 percent, and、uh, the total consumption has really dropped by 9.1 percent. So these figures very much support to the previous speaker、uh, with regard to his observation. Yeah, I can yeah. can I say one thing that we're discussing two different things. Yeah. Here and just it's necessary to clarify them. One is what's like to happen to in, in the next weeks. I, I concur. Uh, with what what has been said,、um, looking and the reports that have been given, all the reports. I mean, I get you know dozens of messages a day from China at the present time. I'm in London just at the present time, and I would anticipate that the, those people who thought that with the economy recover, with the opening up, that the economy would bounce rapidly, they were wrong, and they didn't judge the situation which accurately existed inside of the West either. Um, but the specific question was about the 4.3 percent target of the World Bank, and、uh, not over the next weeks. And I would anticipate over the next year that the number will come in above the 4.3 percent, because I think the, not massively necessarily, but above it. So I, yes, I would expect that a, a hit. And the 
materials I followed the Chinese media, there was some expectation in some sections of the media that there might be a rapid bounce back, and that's not, not going to occur. I totally agree, and it's totally rational with what is said. So I, that's not contradictory. Over the next weeks, I would agree. I don't think there's going to be a rapid bounce back. I was just asked about the figure, about the whole of next year. Yeah, I, I see that. Uh, was what you just described uh, uh, what's happened in your country, Britain, right after this, uh, you know, lifting of the entire restrictions? I think it, early in the year, in late February. Yeah, I mean, the only thing, the only lesson from Britain is, or all in the negative. I mean, Britain's performance has been absolutely disastrous. If you look from both from a health point of view and from a um, economic point of view. If you look at it from the health point of view, if you do look at it per capita, Britain has suffered the equivalent of uh, 4.6 million deaths in Ch- that it would be in China. I mean, that's 20 times the population, of course. So I'm looking at per capita, not in absolute terms. So Britain, it would be the equivalent of 4.6 million deaths in um, China. Britain's economic growth has not even recovered to the pre-pandemic levels. If we take the three years leading up to the third quarter of this year, which is the latest figure, If we look at the international comparisons, China's economies grew by 14.3% during those three years. The US grew by 4.7% and Europe, uh, the Eurozone grew by 2.8%. So China's economy grew three times as fast as the US and five times as fast as Europe. And Britain's performance is actually negative over that period. Its economy is now uh, 0.4% smaller than it was three years ago. So the economic performance is the disastrous and it's getting worse. If we take the last um, four quarters, if we take the, the economic growth rate, the fourth quarter of 2021 is 1.6%. The first quarter of 2022 is 0.7%. The second quarter of 2022 is 0.2%. And the third quarter of 2022 is minus 0.2%. So therefore, the, the experience of Britain's what you might call let it rip policy from the point of view of COVID has been a complete disaster, so you, both from the point of view of health and from the point of view of, point of, view of the economy. So there's no lessons to be learned from Britain except negative ones. Uh-huh. So you're saying that uh, you're expecting well, China can another, do better. That is, that is a lesson as well. Sure. <laughs> is it? That is a lesson. Because out of all of this scenario in Britain, you have also the mess that is Brexit. And the impact that reducing global trade has had on the British economy. So in that sense, the lesson for China is that commercial trade wars are really can be quite painful. So China will need the support of the, wor- the world economy to recover in 2023. And with issues such as the new barriers to, the, to Chinese companies to uh, produce semiconductors by the U.S., and some other measures that are under discussion in, in Europe, this may also bring a headwind to the Chinese economy. So China has benefited tremendously from globalization. And one lesson that Britain is paying dearly for is that backtracking on it and going its separate way in terms of leaving the EU has also cost the British economy dearly. So China should work towards maintaining good trade relationships with the rest of the world. Yeah, that's for sure. And we'll talk a bit more about uh, China's collaboration with the rest of the world later on in our show, inc- including with, um, you know, Britain or Brazil. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Now, let's go back to its domestic consumption. As uh, Bao Cheng just mentioned earlier, that a bleak picture is about China's consumption. But, you know, the central government has already highlighted 
boosting domestic consumption as the main priority. But how? You know, household incomes, especially you know, for many middle and、uh, low-income families, have been severely affected、uh, during the pandemic. How are they supposed to increase spending with、uh, reduced income? So let's、um, ask、uh, Bao Chong first. I would say that I'm not really in particular about the proposition that、uh, the consumption can be stimulated.、Mm. Uh, you know, when you and me and every of our guests are really、uh, having more money in our pocket, we know how to spend it. And it is true. Right now, there has, has been some pent up demand, but、uh, this pent up demand will be unleashed on a very calculated basis, depending on different household, but not really the government policy, as a matter of fact. And、uh, right now, why? Do people save more because they are they feel uncertain about what is going to happen、uh, tomorrow over their job over、uh, some of the critical cases that may really hit on certain members of the household? So that's a, a very rational decision. Not because okay you offer some subsidies uh, to uh, to TVs and uh, to uh, refrigerators and people will buy it. So、uh, the key is uh, still uh, number one is that、uh, you know give people more、uh, certainty. Over the job, over the steady flow of income, if not increase, and、uh, also to alleviate the burden on the tax and fees over companies, so that companies can offer more income for those、uh, employees. And then,、uh, social security belt is something that.、Uh, Give people more guarantee of、uh, something that they really can fall back on. Yeah, but such、uh, you know a refined、uh, security network needs time to improve it, right? But what about in the short term? Any idea or any you know suggestions you might have? Well,、uh, of course, you know the check on what is really in short demand. You know, people are still yearning for better houses, and the、uh, Chinese urbanization rate is still going very strongly. So、uh, and then you know lift、uh, relax more of the whole coast system because、uh, the migration is being curbed and when there is less mobility of the people on equal basis and the demand will definitely be dampened and uh, uh, then to revive the、uh, economy is、uh, pretty much dependent on the private enterprises because the private sector provides over ninety percent of the job opportunities. And then yes, there has been some problems over the、uh, Chinese e-commerce platform, over the financial platform, over real estate factors. But you can't just、uh, throw the、uh, bathwater with all the babies. So now I think you know during the、uh, most recent the、uh, government work conference, they have really realized that, although they、uh, openly admit that、uh, there has been too much. Of the pressures、uh, on these、uh, big platforms, so therefore,、uh, you know, more of the policy shift is there. First of all, to give more of the assurance to those already home buyers who cannot be delivered with their house because the real estate developers couldn't have the access to the loans. Now the commercial banks at the in consultation with the People's Bank of China is getting more lenient on those,、uh, you know, the、uh, credit lines、uh, over those、uh, real estate developers. And also, we are now returning more to the real economy, where people can really get a more decent and also stable jobs. Because、uh, you know, some of the money games was really played out too much、uh, without really creating the type of employment. And now, also that、uh, 
given the difficult time to build human capacity is all the way to have more people to st- spend longer period of time with schools with training programs to increase the capability because when china goes for high quality growth you need high quality people skills so yeah, this is something that china can really balance between you know short term gain and uh, also long term sustainability mm. and still about short term game um can we learn anything from britain uh, john i understand um Your government has、um, extended some subsidies for、uh, the general households.、Um, is that right? Do you think it's、uh, viable in China? Well, again, I'm afraid the British government's policy on this was completely stupid. I mean, if, even more, we may call it a deadly policy in literal sense. What they did was, they much, much too early in the、um, during the pandemic, they carried out measures which can shift things. They basically introduced.、Um, Price incentives—that is,、um, subsidies, for example—in order to get people to have cheaper meals in restaurants, etc. You, you've got a price reduction subsidised by the government if you went out and ate. But the problem is they introduced that when the pandemic was not under control, and the result of which, therefore, was a vast increase in the number of COVID cases.、Um, it was the government policy actually became a contributory factor. Um, to the spread of the virus. So again, unfortunately, from Britain's point of view, actually, how to deal with the pandemic,、um, the situation is pretty、um, negative. What is the case is、um, what was said. Of course, over the long term, the income of people is what determines what they can purchase. You can't get them to spend more if they do over a longer period of time if their income is not going up. And the key to that is therefore is maintaining economic growth,、mm. and that depends upon investment in the economy fundamentally. I mean, the single biggest reason for the slowdown in China's economy is the very big decline which has taken place in investment in the economy. I mean, net fixed investment in the Chinese economy has fallen from 26.2 percent of GDP down to 16.5 percent of GDP. That's a 10 percent decrease. In the proportion of the economy that's going into net fixed investment, the economy is going to slow down if that happens, and that's the most urgent thing that's got to be reversed. What you can do is you can shift spending around in time, and there are well-known ways to do that. The normal ones is time-limited price concessions is the most effective, even on a very short basis. When, for example, London was recovering. From the consequences of the Iraq War, which had a very negative effect because、um, air travel basically collapsed during the thing, and London is very dependent upon tourists. Once the war ended, there's no purpose to doing it when people are scared to travel or scared to go out, for example, in, in the case of China. But if you in, give price incentives, that is time-limited price incentives. That is, you know, if you go out to the restaurant during the next three months. Um, you get, you know, ten percent off or twenty percent off or something subsidised by the government. You can move consumption around in time. It won't alter the total amount of consumption, but you can aim to bring consumption forward in time, provided that people are not so scared that they're not going to respond to it. It was purposeless for us to alter, for example, while the Iraq War was going on, we didn't launch any price subsidies because people weren't going to travel anyway. Once the war was over, we could do it. And if you look at the situation, once people get some recovery, that the some confidence the results of the COVID pandemic are not going to be so disastrous, then you can introduce time-limited subsidies, which can help to get people、um, to do to spend. But if you do it at the wrong time, within as in Britain, you can actually make the situation worse. So it's a question of judging it against what is the overall dynamic of the pandemic within China, and that's not yet totally clear. It's not yet. We don't know exactly know. What will be not the we know what will be the effect on the spread of cases in China that's going to be very high、mm. um, and very rapid and that's already occurring. What we don't yet know is what what is going to be the pattern of deaths and serious、um, illnesses because it's that's a lagging in- indicator. 
in Britain, the lag between cases and catching COVID or being diagnosed with COVID, dying was about two to three weeks. So we won't know the death figures, not for a couple of weeks yet. So that's so the situation's not totally clear yet. So what's the right thing to do at the right time? Uh, well, the right thing to, if you conclude that people are not so scared that, that they are willing to go out, then time-limited price of incentives based on internet or the experiences of Britain, not during COVID but other times, can be effective. Not in altering the, the, the total amount of consumption, because as was pointed out, that depends upon people's income, but you can move consumption around in time a bit by subsidies. Let yes. me complement. Yes, please. Uh, yeah, let me complement that. John, very, very good. I like how you point out the experience in London, and you are correct. There is a couple of points here. It's like, how do you do fiscal policy? A government can do fiscal policy by either giving subsidies, reducing taxes, or doing direct spending, right? Those are the, the three main ways. These are the tools that the government has available for it right now. As John mentioned, most likely now is not the time to create excess demand, right? People are not going anywhere. People are not going to spend. Even online, people are not going to spend other than precautionary spending, right? People are concerned about their health. Now, when things calm down, what, another question is, should the government support companies, which is something that the government has not really done throughout the last three years, other than giving some uh, concessions on rents and some social uh, security contributions. But the question is, a lot of companies are going to suffer even more. I have the case of, of a friend of mine whose bar in Shuhui was pretty much ordered to be closed for six months this year. So he had recently reopened. And with the, the recent cases, there is, of course, no, no patrons are going there. The question is, should the government in any way support his business? That is the question that the government has to ask itself. Yeah, the, the government... This is what governments around the world have done during the pandemic. Uh, they created lots of projects to allow uh, companies to what is called bridge financing to survive the period between now that, that uh, consumption is going down, as consumption is going to move up in the future, so companies can survive this period. Governments around the world have created programs of bridge financing. This would be a way to bridge this uncertainty that was highlighted uh, by the other speakers. But is this something that, that the government really wants to do? Because the governments, local governments are stretched thin, given that they had huge costs in keeping COVID zero, the daily tests and, and logistics for all of that. And their income is going down as people retreat from consumption. The question is, unless this is coordinated, I don't see that as very much viable, especially because you won't be able to distinguish between companies that really need bridge financing and companies that are going to just abuse the system. But this is something that governments can think of doing. Mm. You're basically talking about some uh, small and medium-sized firms, right? And uh, well, authorities, actually, they do have priorities for that sector. However, what, what the banks think is another thing. So basically, maybe the government needs to press the banks more for that. But that also raises another question. It's uh, the debt issue. How is that going to affect China's uh, economic growth in the coming year then, Baocheng? We are really there to, to be required by the reality to really switch the management mode. And uh, uh, we relied uh, very much on the draconian government 
to uh, leverage more of uh, the entire economy uh, through the state-owned companies, state-owned banks, but the situation is now vastly different. So I have recently produced a book uh, in which one core concept is that a past dependence produces diminishing returns. So uh, we really need to uh, to see that, uh, number one, that uh, China needs to further revitalize the uh, private sectors, which uh, are hot hit on both fronts. Uh, one is, of course, by the COVID situation. The other uh, is, was really by the uh, policy to try to, to squeeze some of the bubbles. But in the meantime, that was really, you know, the too much heavy-handed, and uh, that really dampened the vitality of a number of uh, private uh, companies, and particularly those uh, anchor companies or platform companies, be it from real estate to e-commerce and uh, to uh, extracurricular activity. And uh, then the other is the how we can really reduce the reliance on the stimulus package for infrastructure, mm. because uh, some of the infrastructure uh, infrastructures can deliver the return on investment far beyond some of the future, but immediately, you know, to save people's life and to give people the uh, basic uh, living conditions by providing them the job opportunities. I do like the way that the government is, uh, again, uh, both for its domestic policy and for attracting foreign investment, they uh, put more attention for the uh, support of the high quality real economy, which is the manufacturer sector that can provide a more decent and stable jobs. And that's also the lesson that uh, we can really draw from both the uh, UK and United States, because the deindustrialization really hates their economy hard, and now China should be there to take such a, a lesson. And the other is that uh, we do not really see much of the subsidies, uh, you know, offered to individual companies or to uh, individual households during the COVID. But now I think it's time to really alleviate some of the, uh, uh, particularly the small and medium-sized companies of the some of the fees, uh, uh, not to mention uh, tax. So, uh, so that they can really uh, get back on track. If we walk around my, my campus, I, I believe this is a situation almost everywhere in China that uh, you know almost all the restaurants, bookstores, and coffee shops are really completely closed for so long time. So uh, they need some of the calibration to really to have a jump start to get back on track. Mm. And then you know the education. Uh, I think now China only offers nine years of free education. And now, uh, you know, that we have been talking about for a decade that uh, how we can really provide a 12 years of free education, uh, which is really not much of the finance, but uh, which is a really a sure way, first of all, to really delay the job seeking pressure. And in the meantime, to really definitely enhance the people's uh, uh, capacity that can be more fitted for uh, a modernized job opportunities. Right. Uh, you you talked about the importance of uh, developing real economy and uh, you know the, the manufacturing sector. But um, what we've seen over the past three years was that um, a lot of um, manufacturing businesses have been attracted away from uh, the mainland, and uh, especially under the containment policy of the United States on China. You know, some of them have been relocating to other countries or regions. So, Baocheng, do, do you think this will continue in uh, the coming year? Well, there are two reasons to it. And uh, one is really totally based on the, their own business calculation that uh, they see that uh, more of the labor-intensive industries uh, should be uh, reallocated to uh, to some of the lesser uh, developed uh, economies like Vietnam, Cambodia, Myanmar, etc. 
And so this is driven by the cost because uh, we do notice there has been rising cost on uh, Chinese labor supply and also on the uh, environmental control, uh, which is getting tightener. Uh, that can also exert more costs on businesses. And the other is really more or less the policy driven, both on domestic front and uh, on international front. Uh, on, uh, domestically, when uh, China is there to uh, go for high quality growth and tighten the environmental control, and some of the uh, companies are pressurized either to close or to move out of the country. And that we call to empty the cage for new birds. But uh, in some of the localities, you know, they empty the cage, but without really having a very fixed bird. So that's a, there's a gap, at least a time-wise to really to fill. If you look at around some of the major cities where they have the uh, industrial parks, particularly those, you know, chemical or petrochemical parks are really there to have a very bleak picture by the uh, environmental policy over there, but uh, they do not really have new businesses or, you know, high-tech businesses and uh, or environmentally friendly businesses to fill in the gap. So that's one on the domestic front. Uh, on the other, of course, you know, the U.S. on one hand is having further restrictions on the export of uh, high tax and uh, integrated circuits, etc. Uh, that really create a lot more difficulties for those uh, companies who are really heavily relying on it. And the other is the hanging tariff uh, that is uh, as a legacy of the trade war uh, from the Trump administration that is still there to push uh, some of the Chinese companies uh, uh, either to close or to move to some other countries that do not really you know, suffer from such a sort of uh, punitive tariff. Like, you know, uh, one of our friends relocated his uh, true factory to Ethiopia so that uh, he can really avoid a huge uh, tax over there. So this is really uh, the way how businesses react. I think, you know, the businesses react more rationally than the government policymakers and more uh, swiftly yeah. to uh, new opportunities and avoid uh, the new challenges. Mm. Yeah. Rodrigo, you're from uh, one of China's manufacturing centers. From your perspective, do you see any of the, those losses China may may suffer can be compensated or can be made up through any economic or trade exchanges with other countries, uh, like what you mentioned earlier, uh, including uh Brazil or, or Australia or New Zealand or other other countries from other regions? So this is the main difficulty that, China, that the Chinese economy faces. Mm. Uh, the problem is that a lot of Chinese exports, they are changing from primary goods based on labor-intensive goods to more high-quality, high-technology goods. And this relies on China being able to access the biggest markets in the world. So no, it's, very, it's going to be very hard for China to shift its exports from Europe and the U.S. to other countries. Of course, it doesn't mean that China won't have access to these markets. In fact, Chinese exports to the U.S. are growing right now. They are just not growing at the pace that they were before the trade war and uh, before this new round of special measures have been taking place. But again, that is the main conundrum that the Chinese economy faces, which is the fact that the global demand that supported Chinese growth for the last 20 years is not really there anymore. In a way, it's not as big as a problem as it was in the past, as the Chinese economy is rebalancing towards services, but it's, it is going to drag the Chinese economy a little bit down in 2023. And again, that is most likely the reason that there were some revisions on the growth of China for 2023, is because this demand for Chinese products is not going to be there to the same extent that it was in the past. 
Yeah, it's quite challenging. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. And um, John, we've seen some uh, European countries voicing their unwillingness to, you know, to continue following Washington's policy of、uh, alienating or decoupling from China. So, how helpful could it be in helping China attract more foreign direct investment, or as you just mentioned, which is very important、uh, for China's、um, recovery? Well, the, the 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 question is how much the Europeans are willing to give in to the United States and damage their own economies. I mean, almost nobody in the world agrees with the U.S. tariff policies or the U.S. technology boycotts. There was a very interesting discussion I was seeing the other day on Bloomberg, right, on which they they were going through the countries which wanted to implement the which had agreed to implement the U.S. technology tariffs, and basically the answer was nobody.、Uh, you can also see the effect of the U.S. For example, sanctions against Russia. This is the U.S. using political means to influence the economy. I mean, countries containing eighty-five percent of the world's population have refused to implement the U.S.、Um, sanctions against Russia. So this U.S. sanctions policy is very not agreed with by people. The, dif- the difference is between those countries which were prepared to go along with it and damage their own economies, and those countries which are refusing to do so. We could make a, com- a comparison, for example, between Europe and. Asia at the present time, let's be blunt. There is chaos in Europe. The eurozone's inflation is over ten percent. The economy is almost certainly going to go into recession next year, and there's a major war going on、um, in in the Ukraine. I mean, this is a state of chaos. This is the this is the worst chaos since World War Two in Europe. Now, it, fortunately, for example, in Asia, the countries have gone refused to go along with the United States, and there's mo- most of them that is. I mean, for example, the U.S. has been trying to create a big crisis in the South China Sea. You know, for the last ten、um, years. I mean, I've been speaking at conferences, you know, and、um, on this question. But the countries in the South China Sea have refused to go along with the U.S.、Uh, Japan has gone along with the U.S. a bit on matters, but not most of the other countries refuse. So, therefore, despite that you've got extraordinary differences in political regimes in the region, we can go. You know, you have socialist countries,、uh, China and Vietnam. You've got monarchies. Uh, such as Thailand, you've got various republics. You couldn't have a more diverse set of、um, political regimes, but they are united in the fact that they're not going to go along with the U.S. economic、um, sanctions because it'll totally disrupt Asia, and Asia is growing rather well at the present time. So, yeah, there is a、uh, there is a shift which is taking place slowly of China's exports into what's called the global south. And in particular, into ASEAN and in, into Asia. The slightly paradoxical effect, short term, incidentally, is, however, that the big mess of the U.S. economy, with its very high inflation during the last period, and、um, its hyper sort of expansionary policies, which are what is creating this inflation, have actually led to a situation whereby U.S. exports to the United States have gone up. Despite the tariffs, this I think is a short-term effect. It's because the U.S. can't possibly sustain the type of hyper. Expansionary type of monetary policy, which it's had. So I think that this is a short-term effect, and I agree that、uh, strategically, the U.S. will constitute a, a lesser percentage of China's、um, exports. The、U- U.S. had some successes, for example, in getting countries to boycott、um, Huawei. For example, my own country, Huawei had been part of the telecommunications system for many years, and now the U.S. has managed to get it out. The result of which is that everybody in Britain is going to have to pay more. For their telecommunications, and there's been some success in other parts of Europe. So there's going to be a sort of mixed measure. But the problem is in Europe that it damages their own economies. So I think I put the situation as the global south. The situation would be good for China. 
the North America, the situation will be bad for China and Europe, a sort of fight is going on over what is going to be the consequences. That's how I'd summarize the situation. Mm. Baojun, do you see any particular sectors um, that may attract uh, investment from Europe in the coming year? I understand there are a lot of um, government officials or entrepreneurs from uh, East China, uh, Zhejiang province or and Jiangsu province, they, they're already flying overseas, especially to some European countries to try to rule investors. So which sectors do you think are more likely to attract a more foreign investment here? Well, if you look at the Chinese export structure, we do see that uh, the uh, heavy equipments are uh, still uh, very competitive. And this is something that is not really uh, there uh, to be substituted by Vietnam, by Cambodia, etc., because we have uh, such a very sophisticated uh, industrial structure that is highly competitive. So that's there. Well, we can attract more foreign investment into that. And the other is uh, uh, the uh, petrochemicals. Uh, we do see that uh, BASF uh, has really set aside uh, the 10 billion uh, US dollars to build up uh, petrochemical plants in Guangdong province. And so this is something that uh, uh, China can really still enjoy uh, the advantage, particularly given that uh, energy prices uh, is still very, very high and uh, environmental control uh, is still very tough uh, and uh, is getting even tougher in Europe. So uh, China, uh, in this hand, uh, has a a strategic advantage in that. And then the new energy vehicles, we do see that the new energy vehicles for Chinese, uh, uh, both domestic sales and export, has surged by more than 50% over the last two years. And so this is really a very successful one that, uh, you know, we do see that uh, uh, most of the big uh, European automakers are really highly fixed on the Chinese market and also the Chinese manufacturing capacity. And then, you know, some of the SEVI Investors are also looking at uh, the uh, new frontiers uh, where uh, China is not really their leading one yet uh, in terms of uh, artificial intelligence, big data, etc. Uh, however, the application is really there to generate the market revenue that is not really compared by smaller economies. So this is uh, uh, going to be uh, highly attractive. And then much is really now depending on uh, continued institutional reform where China can really provide the type of uh, enabling environment for all businesses because uh, foreign businesses need, uh, you know, be it Europeans or US or Japanese, they have to work with domestic partners. So, you know, the uh, from April uh, this year, China uh, has issued a policy to streamline the Chinese domestic market by eradicating more of the barriers against the flow of all economic resources. So that is uh, great. Uh, but uh, uh, that shall not be interpreted as really China is going to build a fortress against the uh, foreign investment or foreign traders. Uh, another silver lining is the elevation of the Hong Kong Connect program over the financial market, you know, linking further and liberalize further of the uh, Hong Kong Stock Exchange, Shanghai Stock Exchange, and Shenzhen Stock Exchange you know, does lend profound more opportunities uh, based on those uh, qualified investors for both southbound and uh, northbound investment in portfolios, and so that they will be translated into the uh, Chinese economic stress. But uh, we have to make sure that our policy will be stable and that there will be uh, less hot money that is there to play on speculative purposes, but really are there to support the Chinese economic growth.
and also its export drive. Mm. Talking about the potential growth point, I'm I'm thinking about the real estate market,、uh, which um also. Was mentioned by Bao Chong previously. Do you think it's possible to loosen the grip on this market, especially when we talk about the principle of houses are for living, not for speculation? Do Do you think it,、uh, at least for now, to change that principle yeah, for uh, a short period? The, probably、uh, the real estate market really used to contribute more than thirty percent of the、uh, Chinese growth because it、mm. really links heavily to a entire sophisticated supply chain from upper stream and downstream, etc. So this is a sure way. But、uh, you know we need to really reflect our policy consistency. So I hope that、uh, right now you know out、uh, of the、uh, social stability consideration, those who have already paid some of the money, those who are already on the、uh, on the mortgage program for the、uh, houses long waited to be delivered, and that is something that、uh, the government will have to leverage with the commercial banks to. Uh, to help to deliver, and this is really the fair way、uh, to approach for social justice. And the other is that、uh, you know the、uh, we need to have a more tightened、uh, zoning program where the、uh, real estate development will not really go as wild as before. And this is uh, uh, something that the government has been trying to do. And the uh, the policy that uh, actually uh, you know the house is only、uh, for shelter, not for speculation, is not really working pretty well because you know why people、uh, put their money on speculative purposes to buy the houses because people do see there is going to be a increase in the house prices. But、uh, when there is、uh, more of the supply. And when people do not really、uh, see that、uh, there's going to be a substantial rise, so definitely people will not be highly speculative in that nature. So、uh, we need really to segregate, you know, the two issues. One is the commodity housing, totally afloat, you know, to be their price should be determined by supply and demand、uh, instead of、uh, government setting the floor price or setting the ceiling price. But the other is the economy、uh, housing, where、uh, the government provides,、uh, you know, hefty subsidies into that to support those low-income families or fragile、uh, groups. So that's something that government can really highly leverage. And、mm. uh, uh, I think, you know, more fundamentally, because、uh, too many local governments are highly reliant on the、uh, land concessions for their fiscal revenue. So how the local government can really restructure their、uh, revenue. Portfolio so that、uh, they can really get more from the business taxes from all around the sectors instead of、uh, simply too much rely on you know some of the cities really rely on you know 60 percent or even 70 percent of the land concessions and that is not really a healthy picture and that is also going to dampen people's、uh, buying capacity and also the incentive of.、Uh, Are、uh, the real estate developers to do good housing programs?、Mm, indeed, and after hearing what you've analyzed, I think it well, the road ahead is really bumpy and rough. Before we wrap up today's show, I'm going to ask every one of you this question: In the coming year, what do you think will be the biggest risk for the Chinese economy in achieving its growth target? Let me start with、uh, John. Well, the biggest one's going to be the external situation,、uh, because I don't think we should get carried away with the, how the, big the problems are in China. Because I don't quite、um, agree with the emphasis that you put.、Um, it is true that by China's normal historical standards, the situation is、um, a bit difficult at the present time. But it's absolutely paradise compared to the situation which exists in large parts of the world, in particular in the United States and Europe. And we have the worst stagflationary crisis. In the United States and Europe for 40 years. I mean, inflation peaked at over nine percent a year in the United States. 
it's going to be it's over 10.1 percent at the present or it's at 10.1 percent time in the, in the eurozone and china's latest inflation is 1.6 percent china's got room if it wishes to to carry out a more stimulatory policy without any inflationary risk at all whereas the the britain or not britain the united states and europe including britain are going to be tightening their monetary policy next year the only question is by how much so therefore the by far there are various things some of which have been alluded to here the situation on the real estate market the situation on services etc which have got to be dealt with um i think as i said i think the growth rate will come in at a bit above the 4.3 percent indicated but that that is going to be a huge multiple of the growth in the united states or europe during the next period so there is an extremely negative situation there's there's the it's the worst economic crisis in the west for 40 years and therefore, the main risks, the most serious risks of China are coming from the external situation because its problems are relatively mild. I'm not saying they don't exist, uh. but they are small compared to the mess which exists in Europe and the United States. Then, John, when do you expect the Chinese economy to get back on track or you would say it's already back on track? No, no it's been, I'd put it, it's been forced to slow down. Um, and perhaps um, we might say that part of the line was blocked and um, we, it's had to take a bit of a diversion. Um, but due to the extremely negative situation which exists in the West, I mean, ch people in China don't realize how lucky they are. I mean, if they'd had the same number of deaths as in the United States from COVID, 4.6 million people would be dead. The Chinese economy has grown three times as fast as the US. I mean, we can say, oh, this is very bad. China's economy should have grown four times as fast as the US. Um, and I'm all in favor of it and growing four times as fast as the U.S. instead of three times as fast as the U.S. And, and I'm not saying that there are no problems, but compared to the problems which exist in the United States and Europe, these problems can be dealt with in a relatively rational sense, whereas producing the biggest stagflationary wave for 40 years was not a small problem. This is an absolutely massive problem and having all sorts of consequences. I was just listening to Bloomberg's summary of the year before I came on here. They said, For example, on shares and bonds, this is the worst situation for 40 years, the biggest losses for 40 years. So it's not even only hitting the population, it's hitting the financial markets as well. So I'm not trying to say there are no problems in China. We've been discussing this, sure. but I mean, it's these problems are quite small or mo modest, let's say, rather than small, modest compared to the ones in the United States and Europe at the present time. All right, we understand your stance. And Rodrigo, are you as optimistic as John? Or what do you think uh, would be the biggest risk for the Chinese economy going forward? I'm not as optimistic. Uh, I am. I, I do think that people overestimate the importance of, of the short run in terms of Chinese growth and underestimate the importance of the long run. Uh, I'm much more of an optimist in the long run. I do think that there are very much headwinds in the short run. Um, I don't I don't believe that the external headwinds are the most important. I do think that consumer confidence in China is really going to be key. What is going on in China is, has been going on for like five years is the fact that people are much more afraid of the future than previous generations. For 40 years, China has grown at 10% per year. People saw their wealth grow. People could afford to, to put their kids through education and gains and so on and so forth. And now we have, for the first time, obstacles in place for people to plan their future. And will that freeze real estate markets? Will that freeze consumption? How are going to people react? This is going to be very important for the dynamics of the, the short-term growth of China in the next few years. I do think that this rebalancing that was going relatively well until 2017, 2018, and that has backtracked, 
because of the pandemic mostly, what is going to happen next year and the year after this is going to be very important. How the families react to the fact, how people react to the fact that their income is not rising in the same way that it was rising in the past. I, I'm actually much more optimistic about the, the, the crisis in the world. I don't think that stagflation in, in the rest of the world is, is that bad, especially given that the, the global financial crisis was much worse than whatever crisis we're having today in my opinion. But then again, inflation for a Brazilian inflation is something that is just there. Um, but this is for me, m- the major so- source of concern is the main risk is how families allocate and, and invest in their future in the next few years. Mm. And if these investments in property, in education, in quality, they go down or people retreat from uh, making these huge investments that, that they were making up until 2018, then the Chinese economy may derail a little bit or for a short while. Now, what would you say would be the key to boost con- consumer confidence here in China? So I do think what a stable institutional environment, right? Um, we have talked, for instance, about the education market, the fact that there was a big educational reform. All these reforms, while some of them are very good, Some of them introduce sources of uncertainty that don't allow for people to plan for the long run. And that if the government is going to do reforms, it has to do them swiftly and quickly, because otherwise institutional stability is really going to be important. So companies and people can invest knowing what is expected or how they can get the return on their investment in the future. And right now, both companies and people don't have the 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 assuredness to be able to do that confidently, given the fact that we don't even know what is going to be happening with the economy in two months' time. Right. We need more certainty. And uh, last but not least, we turn to Baocheng. Um, the biggest yeah. risk for the economy in your eyes? Well, I uh, pretty much disagree with John's observation. I think the biggest risk uh, or uncertainty, if you will, is really uh, with China uh, itself. Uh, because China is uh, uh, one of the biggest economies, they can really uh, maneuver the uh, global situation. But uh, domestically, the uh, uncertainty lies uh, in the really uh, the integrity of the government policy and how we can really revisit the government resolution over the uh, to let the market to play a decisive role in uh, the Chinese economy so that people can really have uh, better predictability. And uh, uh, right now, uh, when we talk about confidence, consumer confidence actually comes from the uh, business confidence. And uh, only business leaders are able to be more confident with the policy assurance and they can really invest. And uh, those uh, speculative money will be a real, you know, the uh, gross money. And also they, they are there to provide stable jobs and that can really create a healthy picture. So the private sector needs to be further respected and needs to be given further assurance to uh, go ahead with the Chinese economic growth and also economic uh, transformation. And then government will be repositioned itself to really to cater more to the uh, public catering like health, education, environment, etc., and get less interventive into the uh, market function itself. Mm. And let's hope China can deal with the headwinds. On that note, we conclude today's chat. Many thanks to Dr. Liu Baosheng, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics 
University of International Business and Economics, Rodrigo Zaidan, Professor of Practice of Business and Finance, New York University, Shanghai, and last but not least, John Ross, Senior Fellow at the Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies, Renmin University of China, for sharing your insights with us. Please feel free to leave a review or comment for us, and subscribe to the Chat Lounge wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Tuyun. Thank you for being with us. <laughs>